Welcome to Checks and Balances. I'm Michael Vincent. This is James Blair. And this week we have the ultimate guide to the first home buyer. Everything you need to know about purchasing your first house. Super successful podcasts get big sponsors. Mike, we ain't super successful. So guess what? We're sponsoring ourselves. What have we got? Cool. So one of the top trends for employers for 2023 is around improving the financial literacy of their employees. Here at Lighthouse, we have a series of webinars and seminars that have helped over 5,000 Kiwis improve their financial literacy and be more confident about making large financial decisions. If you think that this would be something that your business would be interested in, feel free to reach out. We'd love to have a chat. So 2023 is a new year. House prices, Mike, how much are house prices down by? 10% in the last 12 months. So a lot of people who bought at the peak are going to be feeling it. But if you're a long-term buyer, it's irrelevant. Don't worry. You will get that back over time. Um, so it's never been a better time for first home buyers to get out there and make a decision. But it can be a bit overwhelming, which is why you get old mate over here, Mike, here to help you. Um, if you have a goal to buy your first home, this year's a great year to be getting on with the show. So we've got the ultimate step-by-step guide to get onto the property ladder. So save this video for reference if you're not ready yet. We've also got on our website like a PDF you can download that breaks it down step-by-step. Mike, let's not waste any time. What is step number one? Yes, this is gonna be a bit of a long one, guys. So it really is specifically for people looking to enter the market as their first home buyers. Um, So we're just gonna go bang, bang, bang through everything. So step number one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a bit of a meta approach here. Get a good team. So, you know, get a good mortgage advisor, get a good property solicitor. Um, you know, if you want to get a good real estate agent on your side as well, maybe a buyer's agent, something like that, make sure you've got a decent um, relationship with a builder who can do the inspections and these sorts of things. You've got to have a good team around you. Otherwise, when you finally do find the, you know, the, the perfect house that you, you just see yourself living in forever, You want to make sure you can jump on it and get it straight away. Yeah, and we've told plenty of stories over the past couple of years of when people don't build the right team. Yeah. So the train tracks running through the backyard, people not knowing, rotten walls and houses getting overexcited at auctions. People giving $20,000 payments before they've even entered the auction just Mm. as a goodwill payment to the vendor. Some of those Facebook posts just break your heart, don't they? Pretty gnarly. Um, So the first bit there, look, I know it's a bit of a weird one, but just get a good team around you. It can make all of the difference, especially if you're, um, uh, you know, not so financially literate or you don't work in the um, property industry and these sorts of things. It can really be pretty daunting. So make sure you've got a good team. And the other thing I would say is, uh, I mean, a lot of the time people don't know uh, how close they are or they might think that they're really far away. Having those conversations nice and early, there's no downside to having them and it's Mm. it's only upside. Absolutely. Second bit, save for a deposit. Look, when you come for the pre-approval, generally speaking, you know, we, we may be able to condition for a little bit of deposit, some gifting, that sort of thing from your parents. Uh, however, you can't go to the bank, yep, we're going to save another $30,000 in between now and settlement. Look, the bank won't do it. You've got to have that deposit saved up pretty much before you come for the pre-approval. So look, We've, we've been on about this quite a bit. First bit, set up a budget. James, take that bit away from me because, you know, I'm not the best of it. 
I mean, we've spoken about budgets a lot. It's pretty much just knowing where your money is going, setting up a savings account, a long-term savings account to uh, buy a first home, have that deposit ready to go. Yep. You don't dip into it on a Friday night. You don't dip into it to meet short-term needs. That's your long-term money and setting up structure properly with your money is uh, super important. Yep. Um, what other tips do we have around saving your first deposit? Yeah, cool. So, uh Keep, keep it automated. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about the different mason jars before. Set up those automatic payments. You know, if you are really bad at saving, try and have that savings account at a different bank that you don't have access to by way of an FPOS card or a credit card or something like that. Um, move back home if you have to. Um, you know, rent is going to be one of the biggest uh, costs uh, coming out of your, um, I guess, your budget. I'm sorry. Sometimes I read some of these tips and I'm like, Ravi. So Ravi's our marketing manager behind the camera. I'm like, Ravi, you've gone too far. Like sometimes they, they I want to move back with my parents. They're going to be nagging me about doing all the things around the house. But I guess you can save a lot of money. It's honestly, if you, if you can do it, you will save a ton of money on rent, probably. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. Crashing with mum and dad ain't the coolest thing on earth, but if it's going to get you uh, to your first home faster than otherwise, then maybe it's something to consider. Yeah. You can stay with Ravi as well for a few months if yeah. you need some help. <laughs> cool. So part of saving for your deposit and uh, building up the, the amount of money you need to purchase the house uh, is getting your finances in order. So, you know, just check your luxury spending, how often you're going out, you know, um, buying drinks at the bar, all of these sorts of things. You don't necessarily need those items in your life. Uh, and I would say that actually they're a pretty easy thing to cut, especially in winter, especially in a recession. Stay at home at your mum and dad's place. Play Counter-Strike on the computer. You'll be in a, in a house in no time. Uh the thing I say about the spending habits as well is sometimes people have the deposit, they've got the income, but then they go, mm, I'm not going to talk to the mortgage broker yet because they're going to judge me. I'm spending too much money. They're going to tell me to get my house in order. Yes, Mike is a very judgy guy, but he can talk to you. Like it's much better to have the conversation to be getting, you know, exactly what you need to do opposed to be thinking, uh, I don't want to be judged. I'm going to come back in a couple of months. Yeah. So once you've got the deposit, or you've got near enough, um, as close to the deposit as you think you can, you can get um, for your budget, uh, it's time to get the pre-approval. Now, when you get a pre-approval, there's two different avenues you can go down. You can speak to a mortgage broker or you can speak to a bank. You know, pointing out my conflict of interest here as a mortgage broker, I am going to advise that you speak to a mortgage broker over a bank. Mortgage brokers have a lot more options for you, a lot of different credit policy, lenders, tips, more advice they can give you. It's going to make the whole process a lot easier. You know, we do things like uh, we will value houses for our customers. I say, look, just send me the trade me link, send me the Ray White listing. I'll tell you what it last sold for, who it's mortgaged to, what bank has the mortgage over it, uh, you know, anything on the, the title that you might need to look at, all these sorts of things. A mortgage broker is going to help you along that journey to your first home far more than a banker will be able to. How long do you think that like first conversation to give them an idea of where they might stand in the process takes? Yeah, so we can usually do that in about 15 minutes, to be honest. If it's really just calculating the numbers, we can do it pretty quickly. Um, but we, we do want to have a, a really sort of decent, chunky conversation with you up front, just so we can learn about your goals, um, you know, your timeline, uh, how much deposit you've got, what you can afford, where you're looking to buy, all of these sorts of things. And it means that we can really tailor our advice to help you best get into that first home. Now, 
We've talked about this quite a bit, but I'll, this is the ultimate first-home buyer's guide, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep banging through it. A pre-approval. When a bank looks at an application for pre-approval, we're really looking at three things, right? So your income, your deposit, and your expenses. So you've got to make sure that you've got the information around that for your broker or for the bank. Um, you'll need some bank statements uh, to sort of uh, maybe some uh, pay slips, these sorts of things to verify your income, verify your expenses. Um, and then the last piece around your deposit, you've got to be able to verify that as well. So you will need a letter if you're using KiwiSaver from your KiwiSaver provider, not the balance, but actually saying how much you can withdraw uh, to use as a deposit for your first home. So those are really the th three things that a bank is looking at. So once you can verify all that and send it off to the bank, they will come back with an amount of money that they will pre-approve you for. That pre-approval generally lasts for three months and we can roll it over for another three months without too much hassle. Uh, so you really get six months of pre-approval to go out and actually find a house. And do you usually have like a particular bank you go, that's the first home buyer's bank? Do you try and start with their bank? What, what do you usually do? Yeah, cool. So um, we'll usually go to the customer's um, uh, bank that they're already banking with. They already have the relationship there. So actually it, it makes a lot of sense. We don't have a first home buyer's bank, although some really are a little bit better than others, but it's based on your circumstances. So your income, your deposit, your expenses, where does your income come from? Um, you know, uh, what do your expenses look like? You know, some banks have, um, uh, might treat border income or flatmate income differently, and you might be relying on that. So it's not a one size fits all. It's not like we shoot every first home buyer to Kiwi Bank or something like that. Um, it is really sort of tailored to, uh, uh, to your circumstances. So I've got the hot little piece of paper in my hand. I can go and leverage myself to the eyeballs in debt yep. and have a box to live in. Yep. Mike, once I've got the piece of paper, what do I do? Cool. So when you get the piece of paper, it's going to come with some conditions on it, right? Uh, and it will at least come with one condition around the property, which is the bank wants to see the sale and purchase agreement of the property to check it over and make sure it's not a lemon or there's nothing in there that um, would sort of prevent them from taking it as security. You may have other conditions on there. You might need to close a credit card, pay off a student loan, close those afterpay facilities or, you know, um, get a gifting certificate for your deposit or something like this. But that's going to be more or less what that pre-approval looks like. Um, once you get that ticket in your hand, you can go out and start house hunting. And I would recommend that you get the pre-approval before you start house hunting. Going to open homes the first weekend, you're like, this is so cool. I'm such an adult. I'm going to buy a house. The second weekend, you're like, yeah, cool. I'm still adulting. I'm still driving around. The third weekend of open homes is punishing. The six-month mark? Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, it can be really tiresome. And by getting the pre-approval first, what's going to happen is it's really going to focus your search. You know, what's in budget? What's out of budget? You know, uh, what houses can you actually look at and buy and these sorts of things? So it can save a lot of time, a lot of uh, chats with real estate agents, a lot of um, spam emails of their listings for the next 12 years or six months of your life because they just keep firing those listings out via emails. So, I mean, a big part, right, is the banks now said you can go and buy a house for X number of dollars. Mm -hmm. But we've seen a lot of people pay too much for a house, not think about what they need to do, going through it in the right way. Yep. How do you educate yourself on the market and know that you're getting a reasonable deal? Yeah, cool. So, um, again, if you've got a mortgage broker, they should be able to give you some insights into this. Um, but really what you've got to do is... Look at the market, look at what houses are selling for, 
Uh, look at comparable sales in the area and these sorts of things. Maybe go to a couple of auctions, although 2023 is not going to be the, the year, year of the, of the auction. auction. <laughs> um, you know, and actually, that is a really good point. In, pa in past years, as the market's been running really hot, most houses have been selling at auction because they are designed to get the most money out of you. Now, this can be a really expensive way um, to buy a house, especially if you're losing auction after auction after auction, because I'll get to due diligence shortly, um, but you have to essentially do all of your due diligence first. A lot of houses now are getting passed in at auction or are being sold by negotiation. Now, this is a much better way for you to buy a house as a first-home buyer because it means you can make conditional offers on things. It means if James is selling a house, I can go to James and say, James, I'll give you 1.1 million, conditional to a building report, conditional to my bank saying yes, uh, conditional to a limb report, or maybe I'm, you know, I want to um, assess the, my solicitor um, doing the due diligence and these sorts of things. And, and then if James says yes, then I can start spending the money on those things. And you've got to remember from James's perspective in 2023, I'm very worried about the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I need to sell this house. Um, for whatever reason, I, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell it. If I don't take Mike's offer, when's the next offer coming? Yeah. So in a market, like in 2021, Mike comes to me without those conditions. I'm like, nah, mate, no yeah. way. 2023, I'm like, whatever you want, Mike, I'll do whatever you need. <laughs> I just need to get this place sold. Yeah. So um, once you've got the, uh, the pre-approval sorted and you're out there in the market, again, Make sure you're sending your broker um, sort of the real estate agent listings and these sorts of things. They can give you some tips, advice, tricks, that sort of stuff. Um, things you should be looking for in a house. Um, you know, it's called the, you know, the, uh, the, the TV programs are called location, location, location for a reason. Um, you got to start with the location. Um, what's the proximity to transport, to um, central um, hubs, you know, like malls and these sorts of things. Um, you know, is the area up and coming? Is it a bit more, you know, yet to be gentrified, these sorts of things. So think about the location first because you can always renovate the house, you know. Um, think about the land. How much land are you getting with the property? Is it cross-lease? Is it freehold? Um, do you have scope to make it freehold if it is cross-lease? Um, you know, all of these sorts of things. Um, also think about school zones. Um, a lot of time for resale, uh, resale uh, school zones can really make a difference. So think about that too. Um, the building itself, you want to think about, uh, is it structurally sound? Now, chances are you're probably not going to know if it's structurally sound because you're not a building inspector. What if you just... <laughs> Sounds right to me. We've done that before, yeah. <laughs> um, so you want to get a building inspector to do a build, uh, an inspection on the property. And I cannot stress this enough. Please get it in writing. They will say to you, I can do a verbal one or, you know, for half the price or I can give you a written report. Get the written report. We have had instances where customers have had a building inspection on the house. Turns out the foundations are absolutely shot. The house was um, uh, declared not fit to be lived in. Um, had they not had a written building report, they would have been in serious trouble. And they still took, you know, yonks to go through the courts and that sort of thing. But, you know, get the building report, get it written down much safer. What would you say to the people who go, oh, I can't even claim back on that building report anyway. These building companies are always changing names, going under. I've got no claim back anyway. Because I have heard that many times. What would you say to people that say that? Yeah, look, so um, uh, quite often people are confusing developers with building inspectors in that instance. Yep, don't get me wrong, property developers, you know, they're a boom-bust industry. They're there one day, 
they look a little bit different the next day. They might not be there the day after, these sorts of things. Yep, they changed the name of the development of the company for each development and this sort of thing. A building inspector, if you get a reputable one, you know, they're not a fly-by-night operation. They're not ducking in and out of the market. You know, it's their job to look at this. So I just get it written down. You're spending a million dollars here, another 450 bucks and going to be the end of the world. Great. Okay. So we've covered location checklist, house checklist. Uh, there's also some other, some other stuff in here on what are the neighbors like, um, flooding areas, are there any planned developments nearby? I've certainly seen that go wrong in the past, making sure you're educate, educating yourself around the area. Yep. Where do we go from there, Mike? Cool. So let's say you've found the property, um, you've had a quick look at it, you think, yep, I, I really like this, I'm going to make an offer on it. So what you'll then need is the sale and purchase agreement, right? Uh, and the sale and purchase agreement is the contract to purchase the house. Now, it's a standard contract that um, most uh, real estate agents and vendors use. Um, so a, a real estate agent should be able to mark it up for you and make the offer you know, effectively that you want. Um, other people sort of think, actually, I wanna get my solicitor to make the offer for me, it can be a little bit more expensive. Um, but generally speaking, once you've got the sale and purchase agreement, you would mark down, again, let's say I'm buying this house off James, I'm going to offer you 1.1 million um, with a 10% deposit with a 10 working day finance period or due diligence period. And it might be conditional to finance, solicitors, due diligence and a building report. So that's what the offer will look like on the sales and purchase agreement. Let's say James accepts that. I would then take that along with all of the other property documents and I would give that to my solicitor so they can start the due diligence. Now, solicitors due diligence is so important uh, and people always try and cheap out on it. You know, solicitors get a bad name, right? Like they just, they bill in six minute increments. It's $80 an email, all of this sort of stuff. Use a specialist property solicitor. It can save you a lot of money in the long run. You get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely you do. So they will look at uh, all of the property documents to tell you if there's any issues with the house um, from a contractual perspective, um, if there's anything on the limb, the title, um, you know, is, is there anything that they've snuck into the sale and purchase agreement? Like maybe the house has been sold as is with no guarantee on the weather tightness of the property or something like this. So your solicitor should point all of that out to you. They'll usually give you a pretty uh, easy to read sort of document and then run you through it as well. If we would just take one step back from the, um, the solicitor's piece, the negotiation, right? Mm. I mean, some people really don't like that kind of conflict around negotiations. I love it. What, um, in 2023, where a lot yep. of things will be by negotiation, what tips would you have for first-home buyers with how to go about it? Yeah, cool. So don't make ridiculously low offers. Um, it sets a bad tone for the negotiation, and quite often people just won't engage with you. Um, but you're only ever going to go up. You know, you're never going to go, oh, James, I'll offer you 1.1 million. James says, yeah, great. And I go, actually, I'll offer you 1.05. <laughs> Whoa. So, yeah. so make sure it's a reasonable offer, but actually just think about um, what that reasonable offer looks like and making sure that it is in the ballpark and that sort of thing. I'm not saying you can't go out there and get bargains, but you just got to be realistic as well. Ravi loves a low ball, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Look, with the, um, with the negotiation as well, when you're making offers, the offer that I made to James 1.1 million conditional to three or four things might be a strong offer. It might not be a strong offer. You may want to, if you are going to lowball people, 
You may want to be making unconditional offers where actually you've done all the due diligence up front. The bank said yes, the solicitors said yes, the building report's done. You're in a much stronger position if I'm turning around to James and going, I know he wants 1-1. James, I'll give you a 990 uh, and unconditional offer you sign today, we'll get this thing done. Shake hands today, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got to think about it. And again, your broker can give you tips on this. Um, an estate agent, maybe. Let's talk not. a little bit about estate agents. Yeah. Because there are great ones out there. There are. But, but <laughs> if you are a first home buyer, it's really important to recognize that you're not their client. The person selling their house is their client. And their job is to get as much money as possible for their client, which is the person selling the house. So you need to be doing due diligence outside of what the real estate agent says or, hey, mate, this, I've got another offer. How many times do we hear of a property that's been on the market and there's one in particular yeah. that's been on the market for over a year and they keep coming to our client going, look, we've got an offer, you've got to come in really quick or it's going to disappear and it's just bollocks. I know, um, I know. You've just got to remember who they're working for. The best way to empower yourself is once again to surround yourself with that team to get support. Uh, and the other piece is educate yourself on what's sold recently in your area. If you know what has sold recently in your area, location, number of bathrooms, quality of the place, it gives you a much better ability to see if the real estate agent's kind of fair and reasonable or struggling. Other bit around real estate agents, obviously not selling as many places. So they are looking to kind of generate money and, and get stuff moving. So just make sure you are moving at your pace. You are doing mm. your due diligence. Yeah. Um, you want to take action in 2023 because, you know, the market's only going to be at its lowest point in hindsight. It's better to take action and take the discounts. But don't be rushed into anything without going through your process and feeling really confident because it's going to be the biggest uh, purchase you'll make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the I actually just quickly, I love those phone calls. Because she calls, our customer just like, uh, they want them to buy the uh, property next door to their existing property. She calls me like almost like clockwork once a month telling me there's another offer on the property. And I'm like, you know the price. <laughs> you know our offer. Uh, if you want to sell it outside of that, go right ahead. She also must think you're an idiot. <laughs> like to keep saying that these buyers keep coming along, keep falling through. I know. Yeah. I know. But anyway, so that, that um, negotiation, empowering yourself, uh, not being too like too dependent on the real estate agent, super duper important. Mike, uh, once we've done our DD around the solicitor and the sales and purchase, where do we go from there? Yeah, cool. So let's say uh, due diligence is done, the bank's ticked it off, the solicitor's ticked it off, your building inspector said, yeah, looks fine. Um, the offer's been accepted. Then what you're looking for is uh, you're going to have to pay the deposit. Now, generally speaking, if you're at an auction, you've got to pay it 24, 48 hours after the auction. Um, if it's by negotiation, you can sort of negotiate the time frame that you have to pay the deposit. However, you, if you are using KiwiSaver to pay the deposit, you need to advise your KiwiSaver provider well in advance. They cannot just snap their fingers and the money appears. It can take 10 to 15 working days to get the KiwiSaver out of the investment and get it into your solicitor's account. So it can then go uh, to pay the deposit. On the KiwiSaver piece as well, if you are looking to use your KiwiSaver in the next couple of years and you sit in a growth fund, granted it has gone backwards and you have lost money, but you could lose more money. So we do not want that to happen. You should really be moving to a cash KiwiSaver if you've got short-term goals. If you keep it in any level higher of a 
of risk than cash. It is called gambling. It may work. It may not work. I do not know. Yeah. So once you've got the uh, deposit paid, you're effectively just waiting for settlement. Now, during this period, this is when you have the discussions with your mortgage broker around structuring the mortgage. So we really go into depth here around what works for you. Uh, is it a one-year fix? Is it a two-year fix? Do you get uh, lump sums paid in your account through bonuses or being self-employed? Should we have a revolving credit facility? Do you want to offset some of your self-employed tax uh, by putting in an, an offset in place? So you, you get all of that structure sorted. Your broker will go through the advantages and the disadvantages of the structure, point all of that out to you, point out the repayments, the amounts, the frequency, the date, all of these sorts of things so you know exactly what's coming out, when it's coming out, how much it's going to be, and how much you've got to budget for. Once all of that's locked in, the bank will then produce the loan documents. The loan documents will be sent directly to your solicitor uh, and you will go to your solicitor's office. They will run you through the loan documents. You will sign the loan documents and they'll send them back to the bank. The last piece you have to do before settlement outside of all of that is get insurance on the property and list the bank that you have mortgaged the property to as an interested party, i.e. I'm buying James's house at 41 First Home Buyers Street. I go to Tower Insurance. I say, I need to um, uh, insure this house. Um, and ANZ is my bank, and they will list ANZ as the interested party. That insurance amount needs to be reasonable, um, but it is not the value of the house. If you paid 1.1 million for the house, you don't need to insure the house for 1.1 million. You need to insure it for the replacement value of the house. A lot of calculators online or you can speak to an insurance broker to help you there. Yep, and if you're in a place like Wellington or Christchurch or one of those areas where insurance is a little bit more tricky, you probably wanna have that discussion quite a bit earlier in the conversation mm. just to make sure you might have to transfer the current insurance or something along those sort of lines. Yeah, so that's pretty much uh, the due diligence process and an overview of the house buying process. Let's talk about some costs. What is this going to cost you? So um, a building report. Generally speaking, that's going to cost you $350, maybe $400, $450 to get a building report on a house. Please get one. Don't cheap out. I know you might be getting three, four if you're losing negotiations, that sort of thing, and you think, oh, I'll get the verbal report. Don't. Get the written report. It's definitely worth it. Your solicitor's due diligence. Now, that's going to cost you probably two to two and a half thousand for a decent solicitor to do the due diligence and the conveyancing where they actually do the transaction and swap the title for the money for the mortgage for the house and all of these sorts of things and you get the key. Um, a mortgage broker. Now, interestingly enough, a mortgage broker is not a free service. It is just usually that the bank pays for the service. So just think about if you're using a mortgage broker, um, it's a long-term relationship. There may be clawback um, for their commission and these sorts of things if you pay off the mortgage or uh, refinance within a certain amount of time and these sorts of things. So run through that with your broker as well. Um, they should be able to disclose all of that to you up front and make sure you understand it. Just on the mortgage broker piece, how do I know that you're going to the best bank for me opposed to the best bank for you that pays you the most commission? Yeah, cool. So we actually outline all of this in our statement of advice. So I will tell you exactly what each bank is going to uh, would have paid me. Um, so if let's say we submitted it to ASB and to Kiwi Bank, I'll tell you what ASB we're going to uh, we're going to pay me and what Kiwi Bank going to pay me. I will also underline the advice that I've given you or the recommendation that we've given you to go to one bank over another and why we've chosen that bank. So it should all be very clear in our statement of advice and feel free to ask your broker questions. We're not shy about talking about the fees or why we're giving advice and these sorts of things. It's a really transparent conversation. 
Great. Okay. So they're all of our costs. So all up, all of those things, how much in total should I be budgeting um, for lawyers, builders, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, cool. So probably I'd say anywhere between three to three and a half thousand should get you there. Um, another really important thing to think about here is just that uh, banks will often give you a cash contribution or a cash back where they put a lump sum of cash in your account after the, um, the loan has drawn down can be anything up to 1% of the loan balance. Um, so you can get quite a bit of cash here. And that usually covers these costs. If you have less than 20% deposit, so an over 80% lend, uh, the amount of cash back you're going to get back is going to be restricted a little bit. Um, so you just need to have a chat with your broker and just see, hey, um, how much am I going to get? Is it going to cover costs? Cash back is code for bribe. They will own you for the next 30 years in exchange for a small amount of money. But hey, yeah. it goes towards the cost. Yeah. Now, a lot of uh, buyers also go, well, I've got my mortgage repayments. I'm all set. I can afford those. But Mike, there are other costs outside of just mortgage repayments in terms of being a homeowner long-term, isn't there? Yep, so rates. You've got to think about the rates. Um, they're they're always go, rolling around oh, as well. I'm like, no. didn't I just pay these? I know. I'm like, what? Um, rates, uh, you're going to have um, yeah, your insurances on the house, so obviously insuring the house itself plus your contents insurance, these sorts of things. Um, and then you've just got your standard stuff, right? Like you've got your water, electricity, all of these sorts of things. Um, in 2023... If you're looking at those costs and you're thinking, oof, man, they're getting up there, maybe think about getting a flatmate in. Um, that can be a really easy way to sort of sell, um, try and manage some of the expenses a little bit better. Yep. And a couple other really important things just in there when we're talking about costs. You should definitely be having a conversation around life insurance and income protection as part of this process. You have now taken on a significant amount of debt. If there is somebody who is dependent on you like a partner or kids, you should be thinking about what happens if I wasn't around, how would they be able to stay in the home? Yeah. Selling a home if you if you die is, is not straightforward. Um, and the other piece is around uh, income protection as well. How do you make sure that you continue to make your mortgage repayments? Yep. The other tip I'd like to make for first home buyers, which we do run into quite a bit, is your first home is not your forever home. You are not stuck there for the next, you know, it needs to tick all of these yeah. boxes so I can get it and it means people never take action, right? Yeah. You do not need to be in that place forever. So Mike, we've gone through all of these steps. I guess the only thing left is to enjoy the place. Yeah, so settlement day. Generally what will happen is uh, the bank will release the funds first thing in the morning to your solicitor. Uh, your solicitor will then undertake the exchange of titles and undertakings and these sorts of things with the vendor's solicitor. Uh, and then usually about midday, mid-afternoon, you get the keys to your shiny new home. Yeah, enjoy moving in. Moving sucks. <laughs> but hey, you're on the property ladder, so bring on those record capital gains, baby. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there. That is your ultimate guide to buying your first home. Thank you very much for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe, give us a review and a like. And we will see you next week. Cheers.